Welcome to Grace to Stand. We're so glad to have you with us again today. I'm Darren Stone, along with Pastor George Steyor, and uh, we are talking about worship. That's what we've been uh, going through over the past few weeks, and we will continue to explore that topic as we continue on in our next few podcasts. And today what we wanted to focus our attention upon is uh, the elements of the Lord's Day worship service. As we gather together on the Lord's Day for worship, um, the elements that go into that service of worship. And uh, you have to remember, like during the, Res- the, the Reformation, that the one of the chief aims of the reformers was to reform the worship of the church according to scripture. And so what we as reformed Christians believe is that scripture is what regulates what we do and how we do it and the whole posture with which we approach worship. So George, your uh, one of your roles as a pastor of a church is to um, is to prepare the weekly liturgy to consider how you want the flow of the worship service to take place and you consider the elements that scripture uh, t- speaks about and teaches in the worship service. Tell me just a little bit about your thoughts and your process as you're as you're considering that for, the glory of God and for the good of those who are worshiping on that morning. Yes. So as we've said in the last two episodes, you know, we were made for worship and and that is how we commune with, relate to, glorify our creator, our God and our father. And so, you know, we want to know the best way to do that. And as we said, in the future, we'll discuss other other types of worship, like family worship and full life worship. But here we're looking particularly at that, what we discussed last week of that corporate worship service, the gathered body who come together on the Lord's day to worship. And, you know, the Bible is very clear about God wanting to be approached the way he wants to be approached. And and he's told us that. And so, um, you know, we do that in and through Christ, but also, that means we don't approach him in other ways or by the imaginations of, of ourselves, of, of men, to do that. And so what's what's the best way? Well, the first thing I would say is even a low – so you, if you think of like liturgy, and liturgy really means like like ministry or service. You know, Jesus has actually called our, our liturgist in Hebrews 8. You know, he's, he's leading our worship. If you think of of liturgy, we think of like high liturgy and low liturgy, or you know, in more of the vernacular, maybe orders of worship. The the what is done in the worship service, but whether it's high or low, there is a liturgy. Even a non denominational church, or a, which has maybe a more Baptist sort of format of a couple, you know, some announcements, a couple of songs, some prayer the word of God preached, and then an invitation at the end. If, if you're from a church like that, that is a liturgy. And, uh, and so, you know, when you go into different churches, there's, there's liturgies that are more formalized that involve more involvement of the congregation or less involvement. And we need to think about how every one of those components happen. What's sad to me, Darren, is so often people who go into a church with a like a what we're calling a higher liturgy and so we're not when i say high and low i don't mean better or worse i'm just simply saying a more structured order of worship or a lower structured order of worship many people go into ones that are higher or more structured and view it more as as some view it as dry some view it as rote and sort of repeated and to be sure those things can be there um but what I see that liturgy does, the worship service does, is it's instructing our hearts. It's training our desires. And so everything we do in worship serves a purpose and has a purpose. It's directed by the Word of God, and it ought to have a corporate function to it. 
And I think a lot of the churches in America have gone to a more individualistic view of worship. So you're all there in the worship service, but it's all just each individual with God. And our worship services has a horizontal component to it also, that we are worshiping God together and in harmony and in unison. And so those are some initial thoughts on it, uh, Darren. Right, right. So there's that covenantal aspect of of worship. So when, you know, we'll talk about in the church uh, uh, about covenant theology, our view of this scripture, our understanding of scripture. We read it covenantally, and in large part, we're talking about a a a, a bond between two parties, an agreement between two parties. Not now in our, our case with God, it's certainly not equal parties, but there's a there's that. Um, there's that bond, but there's also the, the, a covenantal bond that exists between individual members of a local congregation, and so the, the, there's there's a mutual upbuilding of the body. All of those one another's are what we do as people who are, you know, in the vertical sense, uh, in relationship to God. We're seeking to give Him the glory do his name and as we give him the glory do his name that that trickles down into our horizontal relationships with one another whereby we're edifying each other and and um, helping each other to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and we're we're doing so through our gathered worship together so in in that sense, it's covenantal, but it's also dialogical because part of part of the covenant. Uh, well, did the, you what you diabolical? Diabol. Well, it can be diabolical, but it's <laughs> but it's dialogical in the sense that we there's there's aspects of God communicating to us, and we're returning uh, we're returning praise and worship to God. Right. So. It is when we have the call to worship. It's not George Say or Darren Stone calling the congregation to worship. It is God calling us to worship, and we're responding in song and and in prayer. And he and, and when the scripture is read, the the it's God speaking to us, and then we're returning to Him in repentance and faith and and singing his praises and then we're hearing his word preached and he is feeding us at his table and he is sending us out with his benediction his good word and so it's this back and forth dialogue and so you said earlier that uh, a lot of people um may who are new to reform worship may come to our services of worship and perceive it to be dry and of course there are services that are dry that are not well done they are there there's a, a low um you know the, the, the sense that they're just going through certain steps however the more you understand what's really happening in reformed worship the less dry it becomes because you understand what worship is really about of course a, a, a service of worship where there's extended prayer, there's extended times of reading the scripture is not going to have the same entertainment value that a service where there's, you know, three, four, five consecutive songs in a row uh, and lots of other um, aspects of it that kind of arouse the emotions more. But the 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 point is is that our our worship is about this dialogue with God and Him ministering to us, and we respond and 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 we respond uh, to Him in all of that. And as we as we grab that around our heart and understand really what's happening there, that we're not really there to 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 be. I, I don't want to say necessarily entertained, but to to just have our emotions stoked, uh, then what we end up doing is we end up worshiping more deeply, if that makes sense. And in other words, it, it gives us that ballast to go through the day-to-day the -day life and be actual worshipers of God 
in spirit and in truth, where all of life worship is a dialogue be between us and God. Yeah, definitely. So let's let's sort of get into like a worship service, and of course, sure. All you know, all kinds of churches have all kinds of liturgies. I guess maybe we'll just talk about the the components of maybe what is more typical in a PCA church that actually follows a liturgy. I understand there are some that are, are more loose in that regard. And when you think of the the elements, you know, what are what are they designed to do? And, when, and we're talking about elements. We haven't really described what those are. So, so the elements of of worship. I think the most simple way to understand what they really are to be are to be the the reading of the word the singing of the word the praying of the word the preaching of the word um you know giving tithes and uh, and offerings making vows uh things of that nature like th those are those are what you see in in scripture as prescribed elements of worship and what are they designed to do? They're designed to, to, for God to minister to us, to shape us into his, to, to the people he wants us to be, to sanctify us in his truth. And for us to, to, be, to be formed in him and so that we're returning him worship in all things and all of life and what we say and what we think and what we do. And so worship is is a um those are those are the elements and they're to be they're to be approached with again what we talked about in the last episode with with a sense of sobriety with a sense of reverence and awe but also a sense of joyfulness and this is really why our theology of god is so vital as we understand these elements because they're not just they're not just elements that are detached from who god is they're 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 absolutely all about who god is so we we need to we need to plumb the depths of scripture we need to seek him in his word and know him as he reveals himself to be so that we understand the what prayer really is that it, it whether we understand what the preaching of the word really is and what it is designed to accomplish in our lives so th so that we'll be fully equipped for every good work but no matter what church you're in it probably starts with a call to worship and you know you may have announcements before that you may have something else before that but the call to worship and, and the way I view this is it, it really signals to the congregation here, here we are, we are now worshiping. This has begun. You know, we, we've arrived, we've fellowshiped, we've done whatever else. Maybe some churches have done Bible studies or, or Sunday school classes or whatever, but like, this is the moment, you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of like the whistle blowing, you know, for a football game. Um, and that's a crass way to view it because it's so much more because as Darren, you've said, the call to worship is, and we'd say this in our church most Sundays, this is not me calling us to worship, and uh, but this is God calling us to worship. And, you know, I do, I, I think there's some difference about that even in our world, and, and, that's a, and that's fine, like, because sometimes it's the congregation calling one another to worship, but we're using the word of God to do that. And that's why I'm personally, and and this is not uh, this is not a slight or a knock against people that disagree with me. There's people that are much smarter than me disagree, but I'm personally not a fan of the the um, the congregational calls to worship, and that that's very common. It's it's very common in confessional and conservative churches, and maybe they're completely right. But for me, I just I think it's it needs to just be the word of God spoken by the person who's reading it as opposed to the, and let the people hear the word in that moment, bringing them into the Lord's presence. When you look at the Psalms, uh, the, the portions that are calls to, to worship, it, it just seems like God is, is generally the one summoning the people to worship. And we, as his ministers uh, speak in his, in his place. Um, if that makes sense, 
if that, if that makes sense, you know, just in the, the gathered worship of God. But I think the beginning of the worship service is very much like what you said. I mean, what you're what you're uh, attempting to do there is is move from the ordinary uh, the the ordinary life, the 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 broad worship of life, the ordinary um, things which you might be talking about or thinking about or or attending to and move into that time where your attention and affection is truly placed on on God and his people and his purposes so that, so doesn't that doesn't that train us then i mean again it's like yes. it, it's like an un, it's like a there's an unspoken thing going on there even though there there's we're hearing words but like right. this signals something you know this yeah. this has this moment has begun Right, and it's 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 part of the training, you know. And exactly. again, even low, um, you know, low liturgy churches have some form of this. Even churches that don't, mm-hmm. you know, have they they don't have a call to worship from the scriptures, but essentially, it's it's maybe the, the guy with the guitar calling the people into into worship. You know? Or yeah, and and very often what that looks like in in many evangelical churches. And we're not trying. The, the purpose of this is not to to go out and criticize all the churches in our neighborhood. That's not it. But the, but what you'll see very often, and I think ordinarily in many evangelical churches, is that you'll see the service of worship beginning with song, right? You, the, the music leader will lead the congregation in a few songs, and then, you know, following those, you know, a couple songs, there might be, you know, a pastor or someone that comes up and welcomes the congregation, glad you're here um and and kind of move from there and one of the reasons why i think most reformed churches seek to, 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 tend to shy away from that and instead begin the the time of worship and really kind of mark that beginning with a call to worship is because what we're what we're seeking to display is the fact that it is god who takes the initiative that's right. To to draw us into worship. I mean, the way in which you came, became a, a follower of Christ in the first place, the way in which you uh, were brought from death to life was not because you took the initiative to sing praise to God, but because God called you to worship him. And in all things, God is taking the initiative in our life and and so th- that's communicated as the the service of worship begins with a call to worship and you know to not to jump too far ahead which would be to the very beginning or to the very end but uh, i mean you, you think about the service of worship but how does it how does it typically begin with a call to worship and how does it end with a benediction right and the benediction is a blessing it's a it's a declaration of promise a benediction literally means good word mm. and it is a it is a good word it is a it is a pronouncement of blessing upon god's people that ordinarily comes from the word of god so you see the beginning god having the first and last word in our life he calls us to worship and he bestows his promises on us and in all of life not just for an hour on Sundays, but in all of life, God has the first and last word in our lives. That's right. And, and I think that's what we're displaying in our worship. Right, right. And so those those form the bookends and, and those mm-hmm. signal the beginning and the end. And there there is something different about what we're about to do and experience and be a part of in that time. And my point in saying you know, low, low liturgy, high liturgy, and, and a church that does this, that. My, my point in saying that is every church has a call to worship. Yeah, right. It's just, right. In our, it, it's just we have a very formalized way of doing it, which is through the reading of uh, the, the Word of God to make that signal. And we even say, well, now let's hear our call to worship. And it kind of like a switch mm-hmm. goes off, you know. But even the churches that are doing what you what you described, their call to worship is just whether it's the music that's inviting people in. I mean, when, when I the first Protestant church I started to go to, where the first non non Catholic one was a non denominational, and like, I mean, they had the music just 
it was like you thought you were going into a fun place. I mean, it was drawing us in, you know. I'm not speaking theologically of what's going on there, but I'm just saying every church has some way of doing this. Right. And so uh, now for me, by the way, I don't think the calls to worship have to overtly call us to worship because I think Scripture calls us to worship. Just the right. word of God itself is an invitation. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you read Galatians 4, for when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are a son, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave than a son, and a son than an heir through Christ. Doesn't that make you want to worship? And so, right. uh, you know, some some people will be confused about that because I will often pick calls to worship that aren't overt Come, let us worship the Lord. Or yeah, sure, you know, of course. And, but but we we do those. We we do those. Um, right. You know, or Isaiah uh, fifty five. You know, come to the waters, all you who thirst. Mm-hmm. Well, that is an invitation right. to come, I guess. But, but but it doesn't necessarily have to be just the you know, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us. That's do, right. It doesn't have to be kneel before him. Not yeah. necessarily. It, it, I think that that the scripture that you were excuse me, mentioning out of Galatians. I mean, that's, that's certainly, you know, that, that ought to turn our hearts to sing praise to God. Right. Literally and figuratively. So yeah, that's what, and and usually, usually what I'll do, because then I'll go into a prayer. If I do one, that's not very overt. Um, Mm -hmm. that's not an imperative is more of an indicative, like, like Mm -hmm. that the prayer will explain that. Right. You know, exactly. Exactly. Lord, how can we not worship you when we hear the, that good news gospel message that you sent your son for us and we are drawn in, you know, uh, here now into your presence, you know, but but the word bids us do that. The word never returns void. And so Mm -hmm. we begin our worship services with a direct reading of the word of God. Um, we go into a prayer at that point Mm -hmm. in our Mm -hmm. services and other churches typically do too, but they may not. And um, the the different prayers at the beginning of the services. What are some of those those prayers there? And we've uh, that people typically do at the beginning of their like in, like ARP churches will do or some OPC. I mean, there's well, I mean, typically what that opening prayer would be would be a prayer of invocation. Invocation, yes. Right. So we're we're invoking God's presence. Now, there's of course he's he's already present there. You know, we don't have to. Add, He's present whether we ask him to be present or not. But we're what we're really invoking in that prayer is that we would acknowledge his presence, that we would acknowledge him for all that he reveals himself to be in his wisdom and being, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth, love, all of that. That we would that we would acknowledge him, that we would, that God would take the time that we're gathering together that morning to work within us to stir up repentance and faith to to tune our hearts into him to be shaped and formed by him so we're, we're praying for ourselves we're we're also i mean part of prayer is just returning to god vocally uh the 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 honor that is due to him it's a it's a vocal acknowledgement of who god is and yeah. and as we do that as we do that that's i mean not, not only are we giving glory to god and we're and we're you know we're we're uh displaying his weightiness and his and all of his holiness and splendor in in prayer but we're it, it's formative in our own lives as we do that as well so when you think about you know if you're talking about your your spouse or your children with someone else and you're talking about their virtues and you're talking about something wonderful about them what it what it does is it's not only affirming to them but it's but it's also vocalizing that uh, actually deepening your own affection for them. And yeah. the same thing I think is true as we as we uh do that in that prayer of invocation. Right. And and I've been in in context, I'm not going to say where or when or whatever, where you know, 
the person who did that mm-hmm. is praying for needs in the congregation. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, that's not what we're doing right now. Right. Like that's like like we have heard a call to worship. Our hearts are now directed toward God. Mm-hmm. That's not the part of the service. There's something later. We do a pastoral mm-hmm. prayer or prayers for needs of the congregation or something mm-hmm. that, that kind of occurs after. But right now, like you said, it's training our hearts. I, I think of it as a trajectory mm-hmm. that worship is actually taking people on a trajectory, a, a trajectory that is training our hearts and preparing our hearts. And so that time is exactly how you described it. It's not the time to pray for the country. It's not the time to pray for uh, people who are sick or for lost loved ones. It's a time to glorify God in such a way that we are focusing our attention for what's about to happen, which is right. is, is worship of him. And uh, typically then it'll go into some songs. Now we have a more contemporary flow at this point where we do we do three songs, but I know... Mm-hmm. Uh, some churches may do a, a hymn or a psalm, and then there may be an, another prayer or something to recite or whatever. But uh, can I can I mention? Yeah, go that, yeah. As you as you mentioned that, so we do it a little bit differently in our church, mm-hmm. and you do it where you have three songs in a row. What we're talking about there is moving from elements to circumstances of worship. So that's good. So. When we talk about worship, we talk about elements, forms, and and circumstances. I mean, those are those are some of the aspects of worship that we're thinking about. And the circumstances of worship are: Do you sing, you know, four songs in worship, or do you sing five songs in worship? Do you do you sing three songs in a row, or do you sing one or two songs in a row? Do do you insert uh, such and such prayer here? Or do you insert it there? And how long does that prayer? And, and you know, so all of those things are are matters of wisdom. I mean, they're not they're not just you know do whatever you do whatever you want, but there certainly is a, a liberty there um, to where you're where there's not going to be necessarily uniformity in reformed churches. Yet there's going to be a, a commitment to the same principles and there's going to be um you know the the same the same theology of worship but in different contexts and for different reasons you may have a differently structured worship where the circumstances what they're intended to do is they're they're in, intended to to actually support the elements of worship to accomplish what they're intended to accomplish right so they're they're uh, they're intended to so so they're not they're not matters of indifference or just personal preference, but in at, at Meadowview, for instance, or some other church, if you decide to do three songs in a row, the 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 thinking behind that ought to be that you know for for our particular church, this is this is a way that seems to work well to accomplish what these elements are intended to accomplish in the hearts of God's people and to the glory of God. Right, right, right. And I know like that, that is not very, um, that is not very high church for, for the PCA. The PCA would probably most like higher form church would have a song and then something Mm -hmm. else, a song. And it may, you know, Mm -hmm. again, maybe a Psalm. So we sing, we sing Psalms, we sing Mm -hmm. hymns and we sing contemporary stuff and you know we vet the lyric, uh, the theology, and all that. And um, so, what is the what are the what does the singing do? Why do we sing, Darren? <laughs> I mean, singing is here's a here's a fascinating reality. You know, for about a thousand years of church history, there was there was zero congregational singing, and that's I mean, pretty much from the uh, the Middle Ages up through the Reformation, there was no congregational singing, hmm. and it was there was music in worship, but it was professional singers, and uh, but the the congregation itself didn't sing. That was a that was a re um, that was a part of the Reformation. That was part of the reforms of the church because you see in worship that congregational singing is an element of worship that's that's absolutely vital. Now why? Well, because 
you know, all of us can can um, probably rattle off some songs, right? The lyrics to songs. It's easy. It's much easier to remember the words to songs than it is to remember, you know, the words of, of prose or just what you what you read. And so what the music is intended to do is it's intended to 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 develop whole souled worship. And in other words, it takes our mind and our desires and our affections and it turns them to God. And it turns them to the way that Christians ought to live by faith instead of by sight. And something about the singing of uh, you know the, the congregational singing really embeds those things into us in a particular way you know when you think of like the sovereignty of of god um we can preach about the sovereignty of god we can read about the sovereignty of god and we need that preaching and reading of the sovereignty of god but there's also something about singing god moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. I mean, there's something a, 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 about that, um, you know, that that embeds that notion of sovereignty into our lives. And, you know, we can preach about, you know, turning our lives over to the Lord and being faithful in all that we do, but we sing, take my life and let it be consecrated unto thee. And that that does something in us that I think is is formative. So it's taking the theology of the word and and singing it, and it embeds it into our souls. Yeah, that that's good, and that's it is interesting. I mean, some songs are direct songs to God, mm-hmm. and some are songs about God. You know, mm-hmm. and, and some and, are songs to one another. And yes, and we're not. Um, I think we've lost a lot of that. Uh, lately but when you see like in the psalms you see all forms of it and of course that's israel's songbook and so there's a there's a catechesis that's going on it's it's teaching us it's reminding us and isn't there just something about singing darren isn't it right it's it where you 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 feel it like why do we love Mm -hmm. music you know and that's why honestly Mm -hmm. i hate when i get a song in my head that is not Mm -hmm. edifying you know right some there's some catchy tunes out mm-hmm. there in the secular world and and it's in there you're like oh my goodness that's what I'm singing you know yeah right and right 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 i got to tell you and i said this to some of the congregation maybe it was last week i don't remember but you know when i go to visit people in the nursing nursing homes or in care facilities or at the end of their life and they're basically not coherent they're, it's like they're not there mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. But you sing, well, not me, but somebody sings a hymn to them or or read scripture, but sings a hymn. And suddenly it's like their eyes, it's like it's like a window to their soul just opened up and they could sing with you. Yep. So they're not they're not able to have a conversation. They might not even recognize their, their own kids. But like you give them a song that they knew and sung in church and they're able to sing and their countenance changes, you know. Right. And um so there's a lot going on there when we sing songs. And I think worship music could probably be a whole episode in and of itself because of, you know, well, do, is it hymns? Is it contemporary music? Is it Psalms? And so I don't think we want to get in all that only to say there is something formative and, and it music connects our heart to the Lord as we sing about him and sing to him. Yes, and and th- their uh, music in worship could be not a whole episode. It could be four course. So yeah. we'll just land it there because there's so much going on in my mind that I could yeah talk about. Yeah, but for the sake of time, we need to to move on. But I, I think of also um, George about the um, the reading of scripture, the reading of scripture mm. in in worship. Um, I've been in some evangelical churches where there's there's virtually none of it um, that and the sermon passage is not really out of a text of scripture itself, but it's it's more of a theme topical with cherry kind of cherry picked verses here and there out of 
the Bible. So I guess that can lead into the reading of Scripture and to preaching, but what are your thoughts on on that? I mean, that's why we're there, right? I mean, the the, mm-hmm. the, the reading of the Word, and that's why in Protestant churches, particularly Reformed confessional churches, it's the pulpit that is front and center. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the medieval church and the Catholic church today, what's in the center is is the altar mm-hmm. um, for for communion. And so the in the Protestant world, we center on the word, you know, and believe me, I see the importance and know the importance of music and song. And I'm as big an advocate as anyone for that. Um, but we're there for the word. And I liked how you started at the beginning. It's because even in the song, we're singing the word, you know, when we're praying, we're praying the word. And so it's all focused on the word, you know, um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. There, there are some, there are some churches you you get Bible verses throughout the service, but no extended portions of of reading of the scripture, and uh, and that that's really why we're there. I think I think kind of before we get to that, because typically before we get to the sermon, there'll be some other components, and there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of variations of it. But the way we go then is we would go into what we call our pastoral prayer, but uh, in that time, we will do confession of sin, assurance of pardon, and petition. And I know churches will do that differently. Sometimes they'll be corporately read confessions of sin and assurance of pardon. And um, but but w- the way I describe it to the congregation is the Lord has called us into worship. We've prayed about His greatness and about like His Spirit empowering worship, and then we've worshipped Him you know, from our very souls and just sung his praises. And as we do that and we just actually feel good about it, but what ends up happening is we ought, we, we can, as we take a breather, we realize, man, we don't measure up still, you know? Right, right, And right. so we can bring confession and we do that corporately as a church, but then in our hearts about our failings, even as Christians. And in doing that, we are not going to the confessional and, 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 having to do penance from the word, the pastor then reads an assurance of pardon. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ exactly, Jesus. Exactly. You know, for the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Or but God, you know, that in other words, mm-hmm. we're just being honest that Father, we get it. You are holy and we still don't measure up. But in the gospel we are we are loved. And when we when we do that, that repentance and hear those words of assurance of pardon, it just puts us in a great posture then to present our requests to God. You know, Jesus says, you know, come to me, you know, ask me yeah. for these things. And so we do that. We then can bring requests. We bring requests for the country. Yes, we bring requests for needs in the congregation. We bring requests for salvation in our homes and in our communities. We uh bring requests about church events that are coming up that the Lord would use them. And there's all kinds of things we can bring to our loving father uh, in, in those moments. And you just see that trajectory leading to that Um, and how you go like almost to the heights in the, in the singing to the depths of, Oh no, I still sin, but I'm not despairing. And it's, it's, there is no shame because you're, you're a beloved child of God and you bring those to the, before the feet of the father. And so any, any thoughts on that component? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Or components. I mean, because we, you can't, you cannot come to God. Part of the, the gospel before it's good news, it's bad news, right? I mean, you have to do, if you don't deal with the bad news, you don't, you, you can't deal with the good news. And the good, the bad news is that we are, as we say in our membership vows, sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope apart from his sovereign mercy. And we need to take that time in prayer to confess those sins to God and be renewed by his grace so we can be further equipped to worship him with that humble confidence that we ought to have as we go about our daily life and as about as we go about our worship on the Lord's day. So um, that time is is vital, but you see, we're talking about we begin with prayer. We have a time of prayer of confession, and then we'll even have a prayer. Uh, typically, I'm not sure how I can't remember how they do this in Meadowview, but 
typically before the sermon or, yes. or maybe right before the the offering or something to that effect where you're you're praying for all of those things that you mentioned a, a moment ago so there is a time where we need to offer up our requests to God and we need to offer up our requests to God on behalf of individuals in the church who are struggling and and we need to offer up our requests to God for the mission of the church and all of the things that you mentioned and and take that time and and it's and and a sad thing in many churches these days is that 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 time of prayer all those times of prayer have been really whittled down because they're not they're not really entertaining. I mean, they don't really, that's not, but that's not what the purpose of the worship service is. The The purpose of the, the, the service of worship is to render glory to God and to have ourselves be edified through it so that we become worshipers of him in all of life. And and prayer is a means of grace. Yes. I mean, the word is a, hearing that word, singing that word, um, reading that word, those are means, we say means of grace, they're means by which God s saves people and sanctifies his people and, and, and grows them in holiness. And prayer does the same thing yeah. collectively. In, in, in as much as we, we partake of them by faith, by faith. We, right. we, receive, we receive grace. And so then at, at Meadowview, we would go into a declaration of faith. So after that, after that sequence that I've already described and we're talking about, we'd stand up and we boldly declare. And it's almost like it fits. And then, and then we have an offering. And I know some churches don't do that. We, we believe giving is a part of worship here. And that's what, how we do it. And others, even in the PCA, uh, don't, don't necessarily do that. But when you think of that pattern of repent, believe and then out of the outflow of our faith we we give back you know and so there's the confession is you know is expressing the repentance we declare our faith it's an outward action of of our belief and then we we give uh, we actually do the doxology in there also which is right know, pro proclaiming god's but that going to the offering part that's an actual that's that's not just an attempt for the church to you know get more money i mean that's that's an actual element of worship. Yes. And and it typically happens around that point of worship as a response to it's a response. God, as a response to his his grace and also as a as a you know a, a picture that he is to have the first fruits of our lives. Um and you know in the age of of Venmo and bill pay and uh, you know the cashless society that we live in it's very different than it was you know, in our grandparents' age, where they actually opened up the wallet and put their cash or their check that they, I mean, when is a lot, most people haven't written a check in, I mean, in forever. I mean, a lot of people just have not done that in ages. But uh, I don't know, that there's there's something about actually putting something in, in there that I think is beneficial. And I would just say for, for parents of younger children, yeah. I mean, just just get some cash, and I'm I'm preaching myself here because I don't do a very good job of this. But just get some cash and give them a dollar. You know, give them a dollar, have them put that dollar in to the plate, um, or or to the whatever you collect the offering with, because I think it trains children to understand that the the church is not a, you know, it's not funded by tax dollars or by, uh, <laughs> by, by it, it, it's it's not a, this consumer mentality where we um, where we pay in order to get certain goods or services. I mean, it's something that that is supported by the resources that God has bestowed upon His people, and we all contribute to the mission of the church as we give of our of our resources of our financial resources of our time of our giftedness and our abilities back to uh, back to god and particularly to the local church yeah yeah no, and uh, that's all good i love what you said about the kids too we we've always given them allowance and a portion mm -hmm. of that was to go to the church and they had to go do that mm -hmm. so they had to see themselves get the money and then mm -hmm. they would give it to the Lord. And of course, I right. guess that's under compulsion because our parents are saying that's how you do this. But well, you're training, them, you know, I mean, you, have, right. you have the responsibility yeah. to do that as a parent. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And 
but like the way the way I also describe it is, I mean, there's there's all kinds of places even in the New Testament talk about giving. The Lord loves a cheerful <laughs> giver and and plan to put money aside for this. It's not a haphazard thing, but. There is a sense by which it's a recognition that everything we have belongs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And you see that common theme in the Old Testament of why it's a tithe and the first. It's like everything belongs to you. And the recognition of that is here's here's a, just a, a percentage of it back to show that we know it belongs right. to you. And so it's not that you use 10% or, or whatever you give. That goes to the Lord, and then the other ninety percent is yours. It's all still the Lord's. All the Lord. My car is the Lord's car. Right. My house is the Lord's house. And how am I using my possessions? And how am I viewing my relationship to my material blessings in in mm-hmm. relationship to to God and to the world? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I liked I liked what you said there. I know we're running out of time. You know, we're going to cover when we when we cover um, the ordinary means of grace. We're going to have a whole a whole episode on, on the reading and preaching of the word. And so I guess we could talk about it just in broad, broad strokes here, uh, as, as a part of the overall flow. But the way I almost see it sometimes is like, it's like the table has been set by that whole trajectory we've already established. The Lord calls us in. We praise him for doing that. We sing praises. Our hearts are lifted to him. And then we feel maybe some guilt. And so we confess and here's assurance of pardon and bring petitions to him and, and give back part of what's his. And, and it's almost like, oh, our, 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 the table is set now for the meal. The Lord, you know, the scriptures say the man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus quotes that out of Deuteronomy. And it's a reflection on the manna in the wilderness to teach them that they, we don't live by bread alone. And so Jesus, as the bread of life feeds us with his word. And that's where we read the word and we may have hopefully read it already in the service, but then we preach, preach exegetically expositorily on that passage to feed the congregation. Right. Exactly. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and, and what is customary in Reformed churches, and I think most uh, most PCA churches do this, is they they take a le- what's called a lectio continua view of the the scriptures. In other words, they take a book of the Bible and they they preach consecutively through it. So they they'll take the Gospel of Matthew and preach entirely through the Gospel of of Matthew and and uh, that's the way in which they will ordinarily do it. Now, of course, there might be some topical um, sermons that they preach as well, but by and large, I think that's the way that most of our churches do it. And the reason there's there's a, a number of good reasons for that, but but one of the most important reasons is that it it prevents you and me from avoiding topics that we would rather avoid or that are very difficult to to preach about or that are difficult for our people to hear. It lets God set the agenda for what it is that we need to hear because we are to preach the whole counsel of God, not just the, you know, we can't, we don't approach the scriptures as if it's the smorgasbord, as if it's the buffet. And I don't really like the, the broccoli on the buffet. So I'm not going to take that part. I mean, if that's if if that's what's in there, then we we preach that part because God has it there for our own edification. And so that's that's why I think it's just so important that the ordinary way in which uh, preaching is is being done is by taking a book of the Bible and and just preaching consecutively through it because we need all of that. And yeah. in the way that God has has um, has displayed it and, and laid it out for us in His Word, but yeah, there's more we can talk about about preaching. There's more oh, we there's can talk so about much, yeah. the scriptures, the means of grace, singing, uh, all of that. Um, we've touched on a whole bunch of of topics, but hopefully that gives those of you who are listening or who are watching. A better understanding of why we do what we do on the Lord's Day. That we're not, this wasn't, what we do was not just concocted by a bunch of 
old dead guys in a smoke-filled room who thought this would be an orderly day, way to do it, and we're just following tradition for tradition's sake, and we're they're not creative enough to come up with anything better. No, we're there's there's a theology behind this, and the theology behind this is uh, covenantal. It's corporate. It's collective. It is dialogical, and it is. Uh, it is regulated by scripture alone. And all of that is absolutely very vital for us to understand. If we're to have a proper, wise, joyful, beneficial understanding of who God is and, and of the Christian life in general. Oh, that's, that's a good, that's a good summary. Yeah. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Um, and we did talk about the benediction already, as you said, at the beginning, we talked about it and mm-hmm. that's that final blessing and there's all kinds of good, good ones we could use. And I guess the, the last thing I would say is like my sermons, I always end with a twofold appeal. Mm-hmm. And so we don't do a, um, an altar call or any, you know, anything like that, that some churches may do, but I always have a takeaway for the believer and then a takeaway for the unbeliever right at the end, which is a, 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 like a direct call to faith mm-hmm. based on the sermon. And, and the hope is through yeah. that whole trajectory that the spirit has done what only the spirit can do. It's not the, it's not your words or my words. It's not, you know, this is a an event that the spirit has to be in and direct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, man, people leave changed. People leave. And, and, and when I preach, I want to preach for change. I want to preach for more repentant faith in believers. And I want to preach for saving faith in unbelievers. And yes. I want the I want to see the Lord's work and I will trust him for the result. So we didn't really talk much about the sacraments, but we will coming forward. That's right. But that's an element of worship. And you think of like the, the Lord's Supper, I mean and a very the, important element, Darren. <laughs> Paul, yeah. <laughs> very important element. Um you know, the the Lord's Supper in very many respects is an altar call. I mean, it, it, it's not the altar, but it, yes. it's it, what it is is it's it's calling people to faith in the one to whom the bread and the wine point. Praise God. And so, uh, and that is, we want those who've yet to come to know Christ to to come to faith in the one to whom the table points. And we as followers of Christ want to leave that time, either whether whether we're either going to the table or just, uh, just in the worship service as it is, to to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, but to walk by faith and not by sight, and to have that fuel uh, of of God and His Word to to carry us through the course of our week. So, George, good episode again. We're really thankful for the opportunity to talk about these these great um, topics with you, and hope they're beneficial to you. But um, we'll sign off for now, and look forward to seeing you next time on Grace to Stand.